Hello, welcome back to Cold Coffee No Glue Sticks. This is episode nine and have I got a treat for you today. As always, please welcome Mrs. Learning B. Yes, the teach fluencer herself. Um, it was so lovely to chat to Tam. We got into really deep conversations about trust in teachers disappearing over the years, um, what visible learning means and how we can promote evidence-based learning in our classrooms. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Tam was an absolute delight to talk to and please go and check out The Hive at mrslearningbee.com. Thank you so much for joining me. I am so excited that you're here. No, thank you so much for asking me. Um, I'm really, really excited. Yeah, me too. I'm sure you get a lot of people kind of coming to you and asking you to to speak on behalf of what you're doing now, though, right? Um, I mean, yeah, I do, but um, I don't know. I mean, I, I just feel like I'm I'm just me. You know what I mean? Like, it's not. It's so anytime, like when you message, I was like, of course, but I also like I'm not that great. Like, <laughs> I don't really have much to say. <laughs> I don't believe you one little bit. I'm sure you've got so much to say. I'm so excited. Oh, thank you. But I was wondering if we could start this episode, I guess, with um, a bit of an overview of who you are, how you got to where you are now, and what's the most exciting thing about what you're currently doing? Yes. So I am Tam. Um, I was formerly Miss Learning Bee. Um, I've changed over to Mrs. Learning Bee this year um, when we got married. Um, so I have been a teacher since 2010. So what are we up to this? 12 years. Um, so I, I was predominantly a kindergarten K2 teacher. Um, and that is definitely still where my heart lives um especially kindergarten the first year of school um but yeah then I became an assistant principal um so I moved schools and then led there for a few years um and I was the kindergarten teacher as well as um leading the kindergarten team and and working with the leadership team at that school and as of this year um I've taken a break out of the classroom um and I am doing Mrs. Learning Bee full-time um, where, and to be honest, if you'd asked me at the start of the year, what, what is that? I had no idea what I, you know, I, I knew I wanted to sort of go on a new adventure and to try, I, I knew that I wanted to support teachers and I wanted to keep creating resources to support kids. But um, yeah, I didn't really know what that was going to look like. Um, was it just going to be more of the same Um but that has sort of evolved as the year's gone on. And um, my husband is a software, I never know if it's engineer or develop, web developer. He's something along those lines, something techy, yeah. something techy, and very, very good at what he does. And yes. Yeah, so- Jez just popping into the frame there. Actually, it's this. <laughs> His office is next door. So he's probably listening, going, yeah, you, you butchered that. Um, but yeah, he was kind of watching. What he's watched what I've done for you know many years. His mum is a primary school teacher as well. So he has been in the world of teachers for a very long time. And he would just watch so many of the things that I would do in prepping for my own class, or then when I was creating resources for other teachers. And he was like, there's just like what you're doing is great, but there are ways that we could make that even better and even easier for teachers. And so that's where that kind of 
alongside me wanting to continue creating more content for teachers and supporting them. Um, so we launched the Hive um, a month or so ago. Um, it's just in a sort of beta phase at the moment, which is just sort of when a website's sort of in a trial, not trial period, but um, kind of like a child. So it hasn't quite grown up yet. So it will grow up next year. Um, but yeah, so we're just sort of working with members to make it even better for teachers. But yeah, I don't know if I really answered that that question very well, but it's kind of hard to answer. I don't really know how to answer what I do anymore, but yeah. Hard. Yeah. I'm a teacher. I've always been a teacher. I always will be a teacher. Mm. Um, yeah. It's, it's very interesting. You say you don't know whether you've answered that question and I completely understand it because that's it, it's a it's a huge career and you've condensed it into four sentences yeah. <laughs> um it is a lot to pack in you're absolutely right and um it's obviously a big step away from the classroom and what you were trained to do but what I'm seeing more and more and I don't know whether you remember this from when you first started teaching but I always remember the phrase, those that can't teach, teach teachers, right? Yeah. And it really riles me up. It really gets my go. I'm like, that's not true, is it? But I think now we've got social media, we've got the capability to explore software and explore coding and other ways to help teachers. You often find that classroom practicing teachers can embrace that extra passion of helping other teachers. Yes. And spread their wings a little bit. And I'm finding that more and more. And it must be a really exciting position for you to be in. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that was my favourite part of my role as assistant principal was having teachers come into my classroom and sharing my practice, going into their classroom, getting to learn from them and see what they were up to, and then sort of facilitating that amongst everyone and going, you know, this person's doing brilliant things with their math lessons. Let's all go and watch a lesson in there. And this person's done the most amazing thing in this area. Um, and so I feel like I'm getting to do that just on a bigger scale um, and sharing my knowledge and my ideas, but sharing the knowledge and ideas of other teachers as well. And um, yeah, I, I think we are so much, you know, as cliche as it is stronger together, but we are, I like to think of this social media world and it's a funny world and it has its own, um, you know, things and don't like I am get stuck in, in the trap of it as well and the comparison and the, all of the things. But I do think it is um, overwhelmingly a very positive space in the teacher world. And it I think of it like an online digital staff room where you are just all there sharing your best ideas, but also when something went terribly wrong and, um, you know, and then someone goes, oh, I had a really bad day today, but I feel a little bit better knowing that that person also had a pretty bad day and their kids were just not listening and all of the things. So, um, yeah, I, 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 I feel really privileged to get to sort of be a part, be a part of that. And to what you were saying about, um, teach, you know, I, I think you can tell when people, people are in leadership or are running educational companies or whatever it is, and they've never been in a classroom, even people up in, you know, our leaders way up in government and, you know, you can see the ones that actually don't really know what it's like to be a teacher and how kids actually learn. And I, you know, I, I get really frustrated when I see big educational, you know, the sort of ones that you might see in a news agent where they 
profess to, you know, be phonics, you know, whatever. And I know, I can see that is not how phonics should be taught and it that is not educational, but, you know, people buy it and, and think because they're a big brand that, that that's a good educational content. So I feel very passionate about, um, yeah, sharing valuable and evidence-based educational things. Um, and I think as teachers, we're the best people to be able to do that rather than people who are just, you know, really have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> Lovely. Yes, absolutely. And this is definitely a platform for putting stuff bluntly like yeah. that. Uh, so I appreciate it. Um, I've got so many questions in my head, but I guess I wanted to start with, I'm always, I always get really excited when I meet someone who's in leadership, uh, in a leadership position at a school that is used to teaching kindergarten because um, early learning is a real passion of mine. My mum's my been a nursery teacher and an early years teacher forever, yeah. um, and she's fantastic at it. And I guess what I've realised from my own practice as well is that the foundations of learning are so evident in those classrooms and they're becoming so much more relevant um, in modern-day pedagogy as, uh, as teachers of older children realise, oh, actually hang on, play-based learning does still work with nine, 10, 11-year-olds. Yes. Um, so what I wanted to ask you was how do you bring that knowledge, how do you share that knowledge amongst your staff? Or sorry, how did you share that? So yeah. I guess people aren't kind of looking down on early years practice as such and not seeing a, a transference in their own practice. I mean... Sometimes with difficulty, if I'm honest, like it's not like it's it's always easy. And I feel like there were things um, in some ways I feel like um, as a leader I was given, um, not I can't think of the right word, I was given a lot of freedom to really come in and make some really positive changes. And, um, you know, one of the big things that I brought in was, was more of a focus on play-based learning and, um, you know, and, and phonics was another big one of mine. When I arrived at um, my previous school, there wasn't really a phonics program. And um, that was something I was really proud to sort of build up within the kindergarten space. Um, but like you also then meet resistance on certain things. And, um, you know, I think I'm such a big believer in not pushing kids too fast, too soon, because yes, they can seem to be flying and, um, you know, thank goodness leveled readers are sort of going down and out, but, um, you know, there would be this sort of mentality of, oh, a child needs to be on this ridiculously high level by the end of kindergarten and, you know, why aren't they at that level in year one? And um, same with, you know, they're writing all of this, this writing, but is it quality writing? Are they actually using capital letters and full, you know, just the basics. And so um, I, I guess I just tried to lead by example in terms of kind of almost proving this is, it's okay to take things a bit slower and to build those really firm foundations, teach it really explicitly. And I would try to encourage, yeah, that explicit teaching to be happening up in the older grades as well, because we know the older kids as well as play-based learning being effective, they also need that really explicit instruction. It's not okay just to go, right, today we're doing this, put it up on board. And, and again, I love seeing on Instagram that that's not what's happening in so many three to six classrooms at all and really quality practices happening. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I don't think I've answered that question at all. Um, <laughs> it's totally. hard. It's a hard one. Um, it is. 
Yeah. yeah, it is. And I think quality over quantity is a question that has fingers outside of the classroom, specifically within our curriculum at the moment. Um, so I wonder if you can give me your thoughts on our current curriculum and where you'd like to see it go in the future. So I think there are positive changes happening with our current curriculum. Um, and I do think, you know, there's still more to be done. I think there is, it is so overcrowded and teachers are just busting their butts every single day, just trying to get through all of the things that they need to tick off and say, yes, I've covered this, I've covered this. Um, so I personally feel like we need to go back more to the foundations. We need to strip it back and look at what what are the really key skills that kids need for learning to read and write and, and all of the math side of things. And then I would love to see more of a focus on all of the social emotional sides of things that we know impacts on learning, it impacts on well-being. Um, and I'm such a big believer that yes, we need to teach our kids to read and write, but we also need to teach them how to navigate this world, which is only getting trickier to navigate. And as adults, we're finding it harder and harder. And um, yeah, like I, I feel very passionate about making sure that that is still a real focus um, as well as the academic side. And I, I think, again, I'm seeing a positive shift in that. I feel like that is becoming more of a focus, but I still think there's more to do in that space as well, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, for people that maybe are listening who aren't in the classroom, people, because obviously a lot of politicians are going to be listening to this. Um, <laughs> you are a big believer in evidence-based learning. So I wonder if you could just give me a elevator pitch of what that actually means. What, it, what does it look like? Well, it's funny you ask that because I've actually been listening to another podcast this week. I've been binge listening to uh, Solder Story, which is um, all about um, basically how la um, a large business um, back, you know, 50, so, 50 or so years ago and then ever since um, has kind of sold this story to teachers and to parents about how kids learn to read. And it was totally based on a theory and it was... Um, as in it was never backed by evidence. And it was a lady from New Zealand who actually then created Reading Recovery and that then was sort of taken up by Australia. It was taken up all across the US and it moved to that whole language way of teaching kids to read where they weren't explicitly taught phonics anymore and instead they would learn. And the example, one of the examples I was listening to yesterday was covering up a, a like a, a word in a simple sentence and the kids were just told to guess the word based on the pictures. So there was oh, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Yes. All right. And, and it was this, and it's what the, the three queuing system of not teaching them to really the tools and, yeah. and what that has then meant is that because kids have been reading predictable texts for those first few years, a lot of this goes unnoticed because they seem like they can read because they learn the tricks of how to, read these predictable texts and they can guess from the first letter. And then in about year three, when they're suddenly exposed to all of these harder texts, um, you know, it all comes undone. And that's why we see this huge drop in literacy, um, definitely in Australia and definitely in the US, it's even worse in the US. Mm -hmm. um, and so my point of telling that story is that I've just been so fascinated to listen that listen to the fact that while this big company that then sort of worldwide was taken on as as 
best practice, it was never backed by any sort of evidence or any sort of research. It was based on this one woman's theory that then kind of snowballed. Um, Meanwhile, all of these scientists then did actual studying into how the brain learns to read. And there has been all of this evidence of how, you know, which is where phonics and explicit instruction comes in. And so I think I think it's so important, um, like even yesterday in this podcast um, episode I was listening to, Bill Clinton, who was president at the time, is raving about reading recovery and how great it is. And so I think I would caution any politicians or any policymakers to actually make sure that they're not getting caught up in a fad or what they're being told is the right way to do things. You know, I've even seen there's some inquiry at the moment into open plan learning and whether that's actually detrimental. And I don't I don't know which way it is, but, yeah. you know, five years ago we were being told all classrooms should be open plan, you know, multiple classes all in one, and now there's being refuting, like people are saying that maybe it's actually not so great and I, I, don't, I don't know because I haven't studied that, but... Yeah, I think you've got to look at where the evidence, what the evidence actually um, says, and same with um, you know a lot of John Hattie's work in terms of what are the actual effect sizes that um, different approaches will have on ter- yeah. in terms of student learning. So, yeah, I think just sometimes they can get you know if, if they're pitched a really great idea by um, you know people with their own motivations. Um, we, our whole education system can go down this very wrong track and then we end up in positions like we're in now. So, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. And then, of course, you think about the other side of that, which is that ongoing um, focus on individual learning. And, I mean, that's been a thing for a couple of decades now, at yeah. least, with yeah. IEPs and Every Child Matters and stuff like that. Um, so I guess... I think people that aren't in the classroom perhaps sometimes forget about that and they'll bring in all of these schemes. This is what you're going to do next. This is what we're going to do in this school and all of that. And they forget actually there's uh, the majority of children even might not, um, might not be um, learning the way that suits them with scheme X, Y, Z or whatever. They need a completely different approach. And I guess that comes down to, their teacher knowing exactly what they need right absolutely and I think that you know I I think more and more you just see um the trust in teachers being taken away and um I understand the purpose of data I understand the need to track um growth and so I'm I'm all for that um but I think it's gone so far um, it's just gone bonkers in terms of then how much is expected. You know, I, I, I'm all, for, you know, I love, I love numbers. Oh, I don't love numbers actually at all. That's a total lie. But I do love seeing like tangible ways, you know, measuring growth and all of that. But, um, you know, the amount that is expected of, of teachers in terms of all of that data collection and all of the reporting that needs to be done to parents, um, when really they know those kids better than anyone else, they're, giving their all every single day in the classroom you know you're not ever differentiating just three ways you know top middle lower but you're often differentiating 30 different ways for each child and that's what a teacher does day in day out they know exactly can you always describe that in a you know perfect little report comment or a or a number that you tick off no but you know that you know that that little girl when we're doing writing that's one little adjustment I make for her and that's 
you know, you do that times 30 times every lesson of the day. Um, Yeah. No wonder we're all exhausted. (laughs) Okay. So tell me about how the hive is helping teachers to do their job and to, um, to support them in their personal lives as well. Um, it's funny, was, Jess and I were talking last night about like if we had to like sort of distill what the hive is and we've actually um, sent out a, um, a feedback form to all of our members and got them to be like, how would you describe the hive? So it's been really fun reading those answers. Great. But I think the the sort of in a nutshell, we sort of want to have two parts. We want to save teachers time and, you know, all of the things that you're trying to do throughout your day, if you can have it all in one place, um, you know, I'm definitely guilty of a million tabs open on my computer. Um, and, you know, having to go to that website to find the digital math tools and then you go to that website to get the phonics game and then, you know, to be able to, the dream is to have all of those things in that one place. Um, plus, um, I really wanted to create, I really, you know, the thing I really miss is teaching the kids and so getting to film lessons and um, give people a little peek into how I would have taught certain concepts and, and supporting teachers. Sometimes teachers just need a five-minute warm-up or a, a way to introduce a concept to students and then they can kind of take that and run with it with their kids. So, yeah, the vision is just to keep building that library um, so that teachers have all the tools that they need, but mm-hmm. we're hopefully... And we're already having lots of teachers telling us that we are saving them so much time, um, which, you know, is music to my ears because that's our goal to, you know, even things like we've got a visual timetable and I, like, hands up, total will totally admit I was the world's worst person at doing my visual timetable. Like, I just <laughs> do it because I, like, oh, my gosh, all the bits of paper and then I'd lose yeah. the one that we were meant yeah. to have. So I would eventually just write it, which was really naughty because, um, you know, especially when kids couldn't read, like what was the point? But um, I just didn't do it. I'd have this time. And and same with my calendar. We would talk about, you know, what days and all of that stuff, but I, the actual process of changing over all the numbers on my calendar, it was sat on February all year because I never got around to changing it. So to have all of that just digitally ready to go um for me like that's the thing I would use the most in the classroom um because I know how bad I was at (laughs) keeping up with that and then I would just feel so guilty all the time that I wasn't doing it but I just didn't have time yeah no completely understandable my my kryptonite was sending the register back I'd remember to do it and not send it back I always get a kid come up to me mystery you need to send the register back my oh my god it's 10 o'clock and I haven't done this yet oh my gosh I I was one I'm exactly the same I was the number one class I'm pretty sure that would be called out over the PA system (laughs) KB submit your role KB oh man I forgot again (laughs) it just kind of screams about how much teachers have in their head all the time the stuff that you have to do even just to set up for a day of learning and then you have what 400 other decisions to make and conversations to have and problems to solve while you're also trying to move these kids on academically personally and emotionally it's it's a lot it's a lot (laughs) it's a lot yeah (laughs) So how can people get involved in the Hive? Where do they go? 
Um, they, if they just come to my, I think it's hive.mrslearningb.com or you can get to it just through my website. Um, so we've got a waiting list. We're launching it again um, properly in January. So in time for the Australian next school year, which is wild. That's only just around the corner, but. Oh, I know, terrifying. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying. Hopefully I'm going to launch this episode to align with that. So. Oh, amazing. There we go. Fingers crossed. Go and join the hive, everybody. <laughs> um, so just a quick note, I guess, on your on your Instagram, you've got 98,000 followers. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that all of those people then go and join the hive for you. No pressure. But I wanted to talk to you, I guess, about the rise of teacher influencers and how that's helping day-to-day classroom practice for teachers. What kind of influence do you think that's had on the teaching profession? I think it's massive. Like I think the the professional learning that you can get through um, those accounts is usually, like not always, but almost all usually better than a lot of the (laughs) the pretty dull ones that you get you get sent to or you have to sit through. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. I've been to some brilliant ones over the years, but I've been to some real duds as well. Um, So I think, yeah, I, I. feel like my professional practice has just improved so much through learning through other educators in Australia, but also what I love is educators all around the world um, as well. Um, I do think, like I I always say, I I do think we need to um, just be discerning with with it as well. Um, And, you know, I I don't ever want teachers to feel like... I, I. I wonder sometimes about grad teachers or new teachers. Um, I I feel like it's a double-edged sword. I think it's an incredible tool to have at the start of your career to have all of these ideas. But I think about myself as a teacher and what I was doing in my 10th year of teaching compared to what I was doing my first year of teaching. I had had 10 years to grow and develop and build my repertoire of strategies and, and also build my repertoire of resources and the things that I'd accumulated and so I don't ever want early year teachers to, to see that and to think, oh, my goodness, I need to have all of those things straight away and I should be able to do all of those things because everyone's just figuring it out in their first few years of teaching. And every year, what I love about teaching is every year you do something better than you did the year before because you learn more things that you go, oh, I never thought to teach it that way, but now I know how to do that. I will never not do it this way forevermore. But um, yeah, so I think I like to think of it as this incredible wealth of knowledge, but I, I always caution as well to just, you know, take take what is useful and the support that you get from it. But, um, you know, don't ever let it feel like what you're doing isn't enough because, you know, it definitely is. Yeah, yeah. I think if you're one of those people that wants to go and improve your practice, you're automatically one of those people that thinks you're not doing enough when you absolutely are already. And I found like one of the, my favorite things to watch is to watch people teach a lesson. And I used to feel myself teaching, which would, you know, be absolute cringe to share and I would hate it. But I also knew that that is for me, the, the most valuable thing I've ever done is go in, um, either watch experts that had come in to do DEM lessons in the schools I was in, or just to go and watch other teachers, um, you know, other colleagues in the way they were teaching things. Um that is the best way to learn. And if I, if teachers ever ask me, like, 
what's something you would recommend? Go and watch your teachers in your school teach. Go and sit in on a lesson because, um, yeah, so I think it's hard because, um, you know, in terms of kids' privacy and, and um, you know, the rules have sort of, and as they should, as, as social media becomes more of a thing that, you know, they are tighter in terms of the audio and, um, you know, I'm, I'm very, you know, I feel very strongly about making sure we maintain kid privacy and um, not so much in Australia. Sometimes I see in the US, um, like, you know, a lot of kids are shared and, I'm, yeah, I'm not sure how I feel about that. But I do see the value if you can do it in a way that, res- that maintains student privacy. The value of watching other teachers teach is um, unbelievable. Yeah, 100%. So just going back to how you changed over 10 years of teaching, what's something that you do now when you're, a teach- when you're teaching as opposed to what you didn't do, I guess, back then? Um, I, there are so many things, like pretty much everything that I do the way I do that. Um, but I think one of the most, the, the ones, one of the things that stands out the most is how I would teach sight words in inverted commas, mm-hmm. how I taught it for years, because that's how I was taught to do it. Um, which was just going to memorize these words and, um, you know, most kids, again, when we go back to what we were talking about earlier, um, most kids learn the tricks of, and most kids are fine and, and sort of pick it up anyway. And so you give them these word lists that we, you know, the school provided and we'd send them home, but all of those kids that struggled and couldn't get onto the next level of these words. And we'd just go, oh, well, keep practicing it. And I'd say to the parents, you know, put them around like little passwords around the house and play a game, but it was all memorize the word, memorize the word. And now again, with that body of research, we know it's actually not how they learn to read the words. And um, by sounding out that word and finding, you know, for example, in said, um, identifying that the AI is making the et sound, but it's a rare spelling, um, you know, the, the re- there's research, and I'm off the top of my head, I'm pretty sure it's between three to five times if you teach it that way compared to the thousands of repetitions or hundreds of thousands of repetitions that a child would need. Um, so, yeah, that for me just has been such a game changer in the way that I teach all of those words. Um, and I wish I could go back to all of my previous classes and teach, tell them to start it so differently, but you, you learn and you grow and um, yeah. Yeah. But I, I think it's important to sort of, you know, and that's one example of so many. And I think it's important to to be, you know, to not be too proud to say, oh, no, I've always done it this way and this is the right way to do it. Um, I think as teachers we have to be really open to, to, you know, learning and listening and holding things lightly so that when we do learn a, a better way of doing things that we're not too proud to sort of say, oh, no, like that's not how I've done it or that's a bit uncomfortable for me so I'm not going to do that. Um, yeah. yeah. That's really interesting. I haven't taught sight words for a about five years now, but I've never even thought to put it in a phonics context and right. take, um, an unusual phoneme right. at the five-year-old say. I've never thought to have done that, but it. And now I'm thinking about it, it makes so much sense. Yes, I know, but, but that was exactly how I was too. I just, you know, and I would, do, within my phonics lessons, we would then have dissection of words that we were like, and these are the words that we can't sound out and we're just going to learn them and quick, let's flash them up. But yeah. If I did that now, I would be like, we can sound these words out, but we're just going to identify. It's usually only one part of the word that's tricky. Um, and, yeah, just mind-boggling when you when you think about it. It makes so much sense. But, 
<laughs> but we were all told that's not, you know, you teach sight words, it's just a repetition thing. They've just got to learn them. So, you know, yeah. it's yeah. what we were told. That's how we were taught to do it. And it's amazing that we've got to 2022 before that's actually changed. I know. I know. Crazy. Oh, gosh. <laughs> um, and you've got resources about sight words on your uh, Instagram and on the Hive, right? Yeah, that's been one of my big folk because I feel like I've learned so much. I'm so keen to like share that. So I've, I've yeah. been, that's been one of my focuses this year to just to create stuff for that. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. There you go. If you teach phonics, go and check out the sight word sections. <laughs> All right. Next question. Um, think back to the last time you were in a classroom. What was in your classroom that really shouldn't have been? Oh my gosh. I mean, so many things. All of those impulse buys or like when I went through phases. I think my worst year was when I I thought I would do a tropical classroom and that's fine and I, I do enjoy things matching but I went crazy on just like every time I was at the shops if I saw anything it had a flamingo on it bought it and yeah just sort of like that was the year I went this is ridiculous what are you doing like this I'm all for creating warm and fun learning environments and um you know, every year around January, I share because I I know that there's this huge debate that happens in January around, um, you know, the people who are really pro decorating and the people who are really anti it and get really cross that people are decorating their classrooms. Um, and I try to always present, I've got this little infographic that I share every year of kind of presenting both sides and going, you're a great teacher if you do like decorating and you're a great teacher if you don't. Um, But I also share like the lessons I've learned over the years, which is definitely less is more. And, um, you know, I definitely earlier on in my career, I was guilty of getting caught up in a fad and and just going all in on a theme that was just so ridiculous. (laughs) So I I think my flamingo year was the real low point. Um, (laughs) I had an under the sea theme. where I went a little bit that was at my previous school and I really went to town on that one too um and yeah very unnecessary it's easy to do though especially with young children when you do that kind of um project themed teaching and learning yeah I I don't totally you know I regret the sort of silly incidental extra purchases that I did but I don't regret the fun of creating that because I, for me, it was a fun creative outlet. I enjoyed it. I, there were a couple of summers where, to be honest, like in my personal life, I, you know, there was a bit going on and it was a great distraction for me to just get in there and be creative and and search Pinterest for like all of the under the sea theme ideas and like, let's get fishing net and like, oh my gosh, every pun I could think yeah. of under the sea. So, yeah. and the kids loved it. You know, they, they, you know, and I would have kids come back and see in previous in later years and they'd go, oh, wow, you've got tropical this year. We had the under the sea one or we had the Dr. Seuss one. So <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a total, total, no. Place, but no. was it necessary? No, definitely not. <laughs> so can we look forward to a memoir in five, ten years with a chapter on the flamingo year? Oh, my gosh. I have actually got on my, I, I don't even want to admit it, I have on my website, like, the previous themes, but I've actually been toying with the idea of taking it down because I'm like, this is not what I would really, I, I sort of, I might do a sort of bit of a joke post of here's, here's, here's someone going overboard. This is not necessary. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, I think the, I mean, most of the flamingos have now 
um, gone to live a nice, happy life at my mom and dad's where all of the, all of the things that I no longer want find a home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had that as well when I did ancient Egypt and I went mental on eBay, I think at the time and just gave it all to my mom. I, yeah. like, I can't, can't deal with this anymore and I can't take it to Australia. So good luck. <laughs> Our poor parents. I feel so bad. I was actually thinking about this morning or something else. I was like, oh yeah, put that in the pile to take to mom and dad. I was like, why Oh, mom and dad just get all of my junk that I'm like no I don't I don't know how to deal with this they can do yeah. it yeah <laughs> it's all under the guise of I thought you might like it or I thought this might be helpful or you know maybe the grandkids would like playing with this yeah I was like no I don't think we need any more of no. your no <laughs> the subtext of shit I can't fit in my own house thanks <laughs> Oh, 100%. Oh, my gosh. Brilliant. Um, What about those teachers? I have had conversations with previous guests about creating a comfortable yet engaging environment in your classroom for a variety of different ages and how important that is from um, early years all the way up to teenagers and why it's important that their classroom is almost as their second home. So how can teachers balance that with the um I guess unnecessariness of going and buying crazy stuff on Amazon or at Kmart or whatever um or even teachers that you know are reluctant to spend as much of their paycheck on yeah. stuff like that how can those practitioners still create a welcoming engaging and individualized environment for their kids such a good question and I mean it's one of my big I'm so big on this because I, I like when you described it as a second home, it's exactly what it is. And no, you don't need to go overboard and you don't need to buy all the things. Um, and that was something definitely that I got better at doing as the years went on of going, no, you don't, don't, don't go to Kmart. Don't, don't need to, you don't need that. Um, but yeah, like, I, I'm a big believer in the class. You know, someone actually um, it was really nice. They had the hive the other day and they said the classroom or, or the third environment um, or what did they know? The learning, the third teacher. I can't, I can't butcher that. I can't remember what it was, but something, you know, the importance of the learning environment. Yeah. So in terms of like how to do that when without wanting to spend money, um, I, I'm, I really believe we need to keep our classrooms, there needs to be organisation and it needs to be like just not clutter everywhere because if it's overwhelming, I know when I've got even my pile of moving stuff here, I feel stressed because, you know, it, you sort of feed off the sort of clutter and the and the mess and the disorganisation and, and that does have an impact on, um, you know, the way kids in terms of how settled they'll feel and and just, you know, like you want it to be this sort of breath of fresh air and this sigh of relief as they come in each day of, yes, we're in this room that I love to be in. It's a really inviting, warm space to be in. Um, I, I think not clustering your walls too much as well. Again, definitely went too far the other way in years gone by, but that was something I really um, was very mindful of in the last few years of my uh, in the last few years I've been in the classroom of reducing how much busyness there was on my walls because you know we do want walls that teach and we do want kids to refer to things but if there's just so much up there 
Yeah. They won't use any of it. And I think, um, you know, and uh, I'm in the process at this point now of creating decor packs because, you know, I know a lot of teachers want that and I want them to use it, but I don't want them to, to use every single thing and put it over all of their walls because that's yep. just so overwhelming. And, you know, use it as you, you know, if you're teaching parts of speech, have them on display and have them out. Um, but does it all need to be up all year round, you know, but that's what I used to do. I put up my 2D shapes and my 3D objects and yeah, everything I could possibly think of. And the kids never looked at it. And um, yeah, so I just think, you know, you can, you can be clever. I also had classrooms. Um, I went from a school where I had these beautiful big classrooms with a storeroom and a wet area and just, it was glorious. And then I moved to a school um, which had very small classrooms and there was no storeroom, there was no wet area. And even without all of that, it was just so cramped. And so I got over the years more and more, I guess, clever, I guess, at, at, at creating space where there was none. And so I started utilizing the hallways, which I was lucky enough that I could utilize the hallways. So that's where my tote trays were so that that removed that shelving out of the classroom. And um, yeah, so I think, being really mindful of how you use your space, how can you maybe create the feel of extra space? Um, how can you have it so that it flows so that the kids aren't like, you know, it's just sort of being really, you know, not just plonking things and not really giving a lot of thought to the process behind how that space will be used and yeah. how it will flow around the whole classroom. Yeah. Um, I love this. This is a great segue into my next question, which is the most misunderstood aspect of teaching. Um, and I guess I just want to preface that conversation with the, the, what you're talking about right now isn't something that can be done day to day in the classroom. It's not something done at term, term time. It's not even something done at the weekend. This is like holiday stuff. Yes. Uh, yeah, it really gets on my nerves. Tell me your thoughts. Oh, <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's just, I mean, how long do we have to keep that narrative? You know, I just feel like this narrative never goes away of, yeah. oh, they get all the holidays and, you know, they're whining about pay and yeah. um, which actually a lot of the strikes at the moment, yes, there's pay, but, the you know, the, if you look at how the media is reporting it, it's all about the pay. It's actually not what the main, the main thing they're asking for is. It's all about extra time you're giving us all of these extra things that you're expecting us to do within our week on top of those things that we've done for years, um, yeah, yeah. that, that workload just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, but you're not giving us any extra time in which to do any of those things. Um, so yes, just the, the, the misunderstanding of, um, yeah, I mean, just basically what teachers do and, and that it is not a job that, even if, you know, it's death, certainly not nine till three, but it's not even eight till five because, you, you like you said, it's your, it's you're using all of those holidays times, you're using evenings, you're using weekends. And, again, that was something I was terrible at for many years. I just let myself do it and I created really bad habits for myself. Um, so I'm a big believer in teachers not to setting those really strong boundaries and being really strict with themselves. But the reality is there are times where it, it, there is – actually no other way you have to get that thing done um particularly during report season um you know and it, it's not a job that you can I envy um my friends who work in jobs where they can leave at five or even if leave at six but then they're done and they can switch off and they don't think about it because 
you are always thinking about it and you're always thinking about that next lesson or that, you know, little friendship group issue or that parent email or that observation from someone that, or, you know, oh, how am I going to support that person? It's just the list is never ending. So, yeah, yeah. that's exactly it. Never ending is a great word to describe the speaking profession as a whole. Um, And it's really heartbreaking that every year there's a new person in leadership or policy that goes, now we're going to do this. And now we want to see this from teachers. And you're right. The trust isn't there. Like you either want us to teach the next generation or you want us to do paperwork, but we cannot do everything at the same time. And then the ultimate insult is teaching is going downhill in Australia. It was like, actually, if you took a fucking step back and looked at what we were doing, absolutely, you might see this is actually your fault. Yeah, exactly. It's not. It's nothing on the quality of te- you know teachers. And I know I've, all the teachers that I have worked with, the teachers that I interact with every day and see on Instagram. We are not short of quality teachers at all. <laughs> Everyone. Yes, there's a couple of, you know, I'm not saying there's not a couple couple of teachers here and there that probably aren't the best teacher in the world, but, you know, you get that in every profession. But for the most part, teachers are brilliant and they are just, they're the scapegoats. They're blamed for every time there's something going wrong. You're right, exactly right. It's the teachers that are blamed who are blamed, not the policymakers that have given a really dud recommendation. (laughs) Yes. Um, oh, I could talk about this for hours. Oh, I was about to say, I could talk about this all day. <laughs> all day, all day. Preferably over a gin and tonic. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I've got a couple more questions for you. Um, what do you think education will look like in 100 years? Oh, that is such a hard question. Um, I think it'll... It'll look very different, but also maybe the same, because I think if you look at the bare bones of what we are teaching kids to do, that's the same that kids 100 years ago were being taught. Yes, there's some extra skills and, you know, we live in a far more technological society and and I guess the job, you know, you look at the jobs now that kids are going into, they're not, yes, there's still teachers and architects and builders and, you know, all of those things, doctors, but there's also so many jobs that didn't exist 20 years ago, even 10 years ago. I mean, look at my job. What what even is my job? I don't even know. And it certainly wasn't around 10 years ago. So, you know, like jobs are going to continue to evolve. So we need to obviously keep preparing our kids for that. But at the basic core, we need to teach them to be literate, to be numerate and to be kind and to be, um, you know, as I was saying earlier, socially and emotionally equipped Um for all of the things. And, you know, I I hope that in a hundred years time, you know, the literacy will be far higher than it is at the moment because it's definitely not at its best at the moment, but I hope that we'll see kids that are a lot more resilient too, because um, I think that's something I've noticed in my career. Um, I feel like resilience has um, deteriorated in terms of how resilient kids are. But I think also maybe as adults we're less resilient too. There's a lot, there's just so much that's happened in our world in the last few years. So, of course, everyone's just a bit worn down. And But, yeah, I don't really know how to answer. I mean, really, I don't. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be completely different and we don't even need to learn how to read and write anymore. Maybe maybe we'll just have a computer that we just insert in our 
<laughs> Mines. Oh gosh. Um, what about like the profession of teaching? Like, how do you hope that that will evolve over the the near future, the far-reaching future? What do you think? I really hope. I do feel like there is momentum. There's. It's. I think teacher well-being and and the valuing of teachers that there is a shift. Um, yes, there's still a lot of negative chat um that happens but I do think that we're starting to see a little bit of a change and I'm hoping that that's just going to continue in terms of valuing teachers paying them what their their job is worth you know if they're working 60 hours a week um pay them for that or if they're if you're not going to increase their pay then don't expect them to work 60 hours a week um remove things off their their to-do lists that are completely unnecessary um, and just to tick a box. Um, so, I mean, I really hope that that is more of a thing and I really hope that that teacher wellbeing in general is more of a, a thing and I think that's something that I feel very strongly about because I know I didn't, like I said earlier, I didn't set those boundaries in place and I think it's super hard to do that as a teacher because you identify being a teacher is so much more than just a job. It's it's part of your identity and that's great, but that can also be dangerous because it can allow you to then let it take over your life far more than it should. And, um, you know, I'm glad, you know, I think you have to love teaching to be able to stick at teaching and to want to be a teacher. Um, and I feel so lucky that we get to do something that we actually love and we don't have to go and do a job that's like, oh, this is the most boring thing. It's definitely not boring. No matter what you say, it is never boring. I have never once been like looking at the clock, waiting, like waiting for the end of the day. It's more like, oh my goodness, where did the day go? Um, yeah, yeah. But that, like as manic as that is, that's a really lovely thing as well, that you're never bored and you're never, um, every day is always going to be different. But um, yeah, I think it's important that um that we set better work-life balance boundaries so that um teachers aren't getting burnt out because that's what we're seeing I was definitely burnt out and we're seeing that more and more and more um and then we're losing all of these brilliant educators um because like you know what I'm out I'm tapping out this is just I'm not valued and my life is just not worth this (laughs) this stress (laughs) yeah Absolutely. And it makes me really sad that I'm seeing a lot of a, a lot of teachers, brilliant teachers that have taught for 10, 15, 20, 25 years go, do you know what? I'm worth more than this. When for the last 20, 25 years, their kids have meant everything to them. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there's a, again, there's this narrative of blaming those teachers of like, oh, they couldn't cop it. And, um, yeah. you know, and it's, no, they you you pushed them so far to the edge where there was actually no choice, and um, yeah, it like it makes me really really cross because um, you know if those teachers were valued and supported and um, you know and and yes, it comes from way up, but it also comes within individual school leadership and the mm. valuing of staff and the trusting of staff and their professionalism and not feeling like you're being checked up on or you're, um, you know, like the, the, I think, you know, and you see a lot in the Facebook groups of, you know, there's a lot of distrust. um, Not again, there are brilliant, brilliant, brilliant leaders in schools, but there are ones that 
that make life really hard for teachers. And that's heartbreaking as well um, to not feel valued even within your own school environment. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So for the last question, let's put teachers in charge. Imagine that there's been some kind of crisis. We've got all of the politicians, policymakers out of the way and they've put you in charge, Tam. So imagine that you're in charge of the education system in Australia. What do you want it to look like? How would you change it? Oh, I mean, no pressure. Far out. Oh. I mean, I think it's like all the things we've been saying. I would make sure we went back to basics and that, um, you know, anything that's that's in our curriculum that's just been a bit of a fad or it's just there because it's just always been the way things are done, if it's actually not best practice, like let's get rid of it. And like I said, I do think that that the tide is changing on our curriculums, which is good. Um, I would give teachers more time, as in more release time, because... I don't think I know that that release time was golden. It didn't mean that I didn't love my kids and it didn't mean that I didn't love teaching, but I also loved the time to actually do things well and not just have the allocated two hours that it is in New South Wales to try and get all of the things done. So um, I do think and I do hope that there will be more um, extra time for teachers and, again, that valuing of of, of professional valuing of teachers' professional knowledge and more trust in that because teachers have been teaching kids for such a long time and they know what they're doing. They know their kids, um, you know, even if even if they haven't ticked every little box on the on the data <laughs> checker. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, I love that. And it's, you know, I'm I'm gonna say it again, I've spoken to a lot of teachers and a lot of them are coming up with the same ideas and it blows my mind that people still aren't listening to what they need. I, I totally agree. I feel like exactly you're exactly right. Everyone is saying this. It's not like everyone's giving a different, you know, these vastly different ideas of what no. what would what small, actually quite small changes, you know, if you've got money to invest in huge um you know again in New South Wales if you go to New South Wales a stadium for example if you've got money to invest there then you've got money to invest in extra te- you know extra release time each school would get you know an extra budget that gives every teacher and every another hour even two hours um a week there is money there and yet it's spent on things that actually don't move the needle forward in terms of learning or move the needle forward in terms of improving teacher well-being, teacher attrition, um, yeah, all of the things. So, it, yeah, it's just wild that everyone has the same ideas and not. Yep. <laughs> um, Tam, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. You are wonderful and you are killing it in the PD space and in your own space in the Hive. It's such an amazing resource and I wish you the best of luck and go and join the hive everyone oh thank you so much for having me I've had so much fun I feel like we're on the same page on everything (laughs) (laughs) oh wasn't that amazing we love Tam and best of luck with the hive if you haven't joined already go and check it out at hive.mrslearningbee.com it's such an amazing resource and quite possibly a life changer for teachers Um, I know it's just being launched at the start of the 2023 school year. So despite when you're listening to it, go and check it out. 
go and join and also follow her on Instagram because she posts some amazing stuff. Also, keep up to date with what's happening on the pod over on Instagram at Cold Coffee No Glue Sticks Pod. And come back and join me in a couple of weeks with another fab guest. Until then, I hope you're taking January easy. I'll see you soon.